In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As you're being seated, find Matthew 28. We have talked about where our church has been, and this morning's sermon, we're going to talk about where we are going. As a matter of fact, I've entitled the sermon, Where Are We Going? From Matthew chapter 28. As you're finding the passage, Matthew 28 verse 16, as you're finding that, um, we come to the end of this gospel, and this is after Jesus has died and rose again, and he is meeting with his disciples uh, here near one of the last times. He's meeting with them before he ascends back to heaven. And if you think about it, these men had been through so much, right? They had, for three years, walked with Jesus, been taught by Jesus, heard his words, and been devastated, of course, when he was um, uh, punished and tortured and sent to the cross. And then once he you know, rose from the grave, they were amazed and astonished and excited. Uh, once they finally realized it was him. And, and so they had been through this, the disciples had been through this roller coaster of emotions. And now they're thinking, we're so excited. He's rose from the grave. He's back. He's going to teach us for years and years and years. And now, as we see specifically over in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is going to give them a few final commands, and then he's going to leave them again and ascend back to heaven. And so I think his final words to them are so, so very important. Before he goes, he gives them this commission, this command. And we find it in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. If you found verse 16, say word. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Three main points I'm going to give you from this text that answers the question, where are we going? As a church, or where are we headed? Here we go. Number one, where are we going? We are going to stay focused on the finished work of Christ. I find that from verse 18. Because Jesus comes to them and he says, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. We know that Jesus is God's Son. He was sent by the Father to come and accomplish a goal of giving his life for sinners like us. And in doing so, we, and we, we actually studied this last week in John, the Father put all things into the hand of the Son. And so all things, especially related to salvation, right, are, are in the hands of Christ as he completed that work of salvation. And so this great commission is given to us by the authority of Christ, or the command, or the jurisdiction of Christ. And I want you to see that the one who gives the command is vitally important to those who will follow the command, right? If your coworker comes up to you at work tomorrow and says, hey, you need to get this done, you might do it, or you might say, you're not my boss, right? But if the boss comes to you and says, hey, you need to get this done, hopefully you're more likely to say, I better get that done, right? The person saying the thing makes a difference. If my four-year-old says, Dad, come here, I need you right now, I might say, 
she can wait. But if my wife says, hey, get over here, I'm going, right? So the person giving you the command is important in relation to the person receiving the command. These disciples are receiving a command, and by extension, we are receiving a command from Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle said this on this passage, and I just had to read you the whole quote. I think it's up there. Christ is he who has the keys of death and hell. Christ, not Chris, Christ is the anointed priest who alone can absolve sinners. Christ is the fountain of living waters in whom alone can, we can be cleansed. Christ is the prince and savior who alone can give repentance and remission of sins. In him all fullness dwells. He is the way, the door, the light, the life, and the shepherd. He that has the son has life, and he that has not the son has not life. We understand this commission is great because of the one who gives it. And something else about that, something else about verse 18, when Jesus said, all power is given unto me, in other words, it's my jurisdiction, my command, my control, here's why that excites me as a pastor and as a church. When Jesus said these things, he is guaranteeing our fruit or our results. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. In Acts 18, there's a story of Paul, I think I have this text up there, Cooper, there's a story of Paul going to Corinth and preaching the gospel. And he's preaching to these Jewish people about Jesus and they are not listening. They're reviling him. They're getting angry at him. They don't want to listen to what he's preaching about Christ. And so then he's like, okay, I'm just going to go preach. Like, he basically tells them, forget y'all. I'm going to go preach to these Gentiles. And he goes and preaches, and he begins to see some results and some fruit from the preaching. But look at what God told him in this vision. In Acts 18, the Lord said into the, at the night in the vision, Be not afraid. Speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee. And no man shall sit on thee to harm thee, for I have much people in this city. Now, I used to read verse 10. I'm sorry, go back to verse 9, Cooper, I'm sorry. Or the previous verse, yeah, right there. I used to read that verse, and that last part, I thought, oh, what that means is God has a lot of people in that city who are going to be there to support Paul. That's the way I used to read it. But Paul had not really held a crusade. He had not held a Billy Graham crusade. (laughs) He'd only really talked to a few Gentiles. Who are these people that God says, I have much people in this city? Who are these people? I'm going to tell you what I think. These are God's elect. These are people who will be saved when they believe, but who've yet to believe. And God tells Paul, don't be afraid, don't worry. You preach, and I'm going to bring the results. I have people I'm going to save. It reminds me of John chapter 10, which we'll study later this year, Lord willing. Where, um, where Jesus said this, uh, it's up there as well, I think, Cooper. He said, I, I am the good shepherd, and I know mine own, and my own know me, even as the Father knoweth me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. That's the same thing right there. God says there are other people who are going to believe, my people, who have not yet believed, who will believe, and I will bring them into my fold. He says, them also must I bring, they shall hear my voice, and become one flock with one shepherd. You see what I'm saying here? The the commission and the jurisdiction and the power and the authority of Christ from verse 18 gives the commission its feet, feet to stand on, its foundation to stand on. So here's the application for us, church. Based on Acts 18, based on John 10, based on Matthew 28, 16, 18, 
we don't need to find a better or newer method to reach people for Christ than what God has already given us in His Word. There are people all across this country, churches all across this place, pastors hitting their head on the wall every week. How, what can I do? What creative thing can I do this week to get people to come to church and to know Christ? The Bible tells us how to get people to know Christ. Share Christ. Right? We don't, we, our goal is to proclaim the gospel of Christ. So we, as a church, I'm casting this vision for us. We are going to continue to preach the sovereign grace of God in salvation. We're going to continue to preach the depravity of man and the wrath of God for, towards sin. We're going to continue to preach that man is responsible to repent and believe in Christ. We're going to continue to preach the, the sinless life, the substitutionary death, and the glorious resurrection of Christ. And we're going to preach that all who believe are held by God and persevere to the end. Where are we going? We're going to stay focused on the finished work of Christ. Number two, where are we going? Oh goodness, this is going to take a minute. We're going to be disciples who make disciples. In this text, there is a one imperative verb. Some of you teachers in here know what that means. or Some, you know, some of you remember English, you know what that means. It's an imperative. You must do it. It's a command. And it's in verse 19. And it's the word teach. Go therefore and teach. That word is an imperative verb literally meaning to make disciples. As you might see in some translations, to make disciples. That's the, the, the main point of this. We are to go as a church. They are to go as these disciples and go make disciples. Now, I was thinking about this. We used to live uh, in the city of New Albany and... We lived in a, a dead-end road. It had a cul-de-sac. Y'all know what a cul-de-sac is, right? So a lot of people would turn around the road thinking they were going somewhere, and what would happen? Turn around and go, turn around and go back out. Like, where are we going? You know? And I was thinking about how, for many churches, the gospel has become a cul-de-sac, or the church has become a cul-de-sac for the gospel, where it comes in, but it never really goes out. When we're meant to be a highway, a freeway of of Christ, taking him here and there as we go. These disciples were not called also, they were not called just to make converts. That's the point of verse 19. Don't just go and make converts so that you can feel good about your ministry. Go make disciples, fully formed, devoted followers of Christ. Which, by the way, every one of you in here, whether you're a member of this church or not, I pray that you would not just say, I'm a Christian, but that you would say, I'm a follower of Christ a learner, a student, following him in faith, love, and obedience. That's what we need to be, and that's who we need to reproduce in our church. I know some pastors, I've heard pastors say, like, I, I would never go to so-and-so church because there's only 50 people there, or only 100 people. I need 300 people to, to go to that church. And some people might say that, and I would say to them, what did Jesus do? <laughs> he had 12, and one was no good, Right? <laughs> And he spent most of his time with those 12. He spent some other time with thousands at times, but for the most part, Jesus invested his life for those three years in that ministry in those 12, knowing that when he left, it would be on them to go and spread his word. Pretty incredible, right? Because these weren't special guys. These weren't wealthy or, or famous guys. These are ordinary people God took, Christ took and changed the world. And he could do the same with us as well. The, the command here is clear. 
Our goal is not to build the biggest building in town. Listen to me. Our goal as a church is not to build the, buildest, to build the biggest building in town. I love our building like it is, but if we have to build, it'd be great. Our goal is not to always bring in the most people of every church in town. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to put on the, the coolest worship service each Sunday. That's not our goal. Our goal as a church is to make disciples, period. Make disciples and glorify God. That's our goal. I got a job at, in college. I, I dropped out of college for a minute before I went back, and my dad's like, you can come work down with me at the factory. And I was like, okay, that'll be fine. And I went. I went this long application process. I got in this factory. They make transformers, Howard Industries, if you ever heard of it. They make transformers and things like that. So I get stuck on this assembly line, and there's this, what do you call it, thing that goes by with parts or whatever, whatever. And so <laughs> you can tell I didn't last long. <laughs> and so I'm with these two really older dudes. Of course, I'm like 20, whatever, and there's older dudes, and they're like, you know, saying a bunch of crazy, inappropriate stuff. And I'm like, wow, I haven't heard this in a while, you know. And I'm just, I'm doing this little tedious thing. I'm just like, what are we doing? What am, what am I doing with my life, you know? And uh, I lasted seven or five days, a week. I stayed a week. <laughs> my dad was so mad. I got you that job. I was like, well, sorry, I'm not going back. But here's why I tell you that. That was a factory where things are made constantly, right? Any of you ever been into a furniture factory? I mean, it's the assembly line, right? Things are made. But, if, but furniture folks also have warehouses. And in a warehouse, that's not where the things are made. That's where the things are what? Stored. Is our church a disciple factory or a disciple warehouse? Most churches are probably disciple warehouses where we just store Christians in here and we're fine with it. When the goal of the church is to keep reproducing disciples, making disciples. Let's be a factory, not a warehouse although I'm not really good at working at factories. but <laughs> As we continue in verse 19, we see three other verbs, 19 and 20, three other participles, I-N-G verbs, that support the main point of making disciples. I'm going to give these to you. And the first one is the word go in verse 19. Go, therefore. And that is a, a literally, literally, that is as you are going. That's how that is to be interpreted. As you are going, therefore, make disciples. And the emphasis of this is that disciple making is not just something we do once in a while. It's not just something that happens in Sunday school or on Sunday morning or on a mission trip or with some kind of service project. Nothing's wrong with those things, but that's not only where discipleship happens. Look at this next note I'm going to put up there, and this is one of the most important things I'll, I'll give you today, I think. Making disciples is an intentional lifestyle of living to help others follow Jesus taking notes, write that down, snap a picture of it, whatever. Making disciples is an intentional life of helping other people follow Christ. Do we live that way? Or is our faith just a Sunday morning only thing? I want to say something that might be controversial, but it's in my notes, so I'm going to say it. The primary purpose of our meeting right now and every Sunday morning we meet, the primary purpose is not that a lost person would be saved. Now, does that happen sometimes? Yes. And do we love that? Yes. Do we hope that happens? Yes. But by its very name and nature, the church is the people of God, the ecclesia in the New Testament. We are the gathering, the called-out assembly of people. So by its very nature, we are the church, and 
I was thinking about this this week. In all reality, should a non-Christian walk into a church and feel completely comfortable? I say no. Now, we should make them feel at home. We should incur, you know, be nice to them, right? No matter who they are. No matter what religion they're from or race or gender or whatever. We should make people feel welcome, right? My point is, if they don't know the God we're singing about or praying to or preaching about, they might should feel a little, what's, what's going on in here? Is it possible? Is it possible? Our prayers are so powerless. Our singing is so unjoyful. Our preaching is lacks something. Is it possible that all this makes a lost person come in and go, well, this is just another meeting like I see anywhere else in the world? Should the church get back to a place? And I think it's only going to happen by multiple people in here beginning to pray, beginning with me and, and you beginning to pray and think, but can the church get back to a place where there's a reverence for God in here and an awe for God and a fear of God and a love for God that just kind of stands out over everything else? Man, I hope we can get to that place. That's the kind of church we want to be. And that kind of church, listen to me, won't always have the most people. <laughs> but it will have disciples. Can we pray to get to that place? I've only been in a couple of churches in my life that I thought, and my wife knows which one I'm, there's one I'm thinking of right now. And people thought, people would say, that church is weird. That church is like a cult. That church is different. That church is this. And I went and visited, and I thought, I've never been in a church like this in my entire life. They had one piano, one singer, with a little hymn book with no music. And I'm like, what kind of hymn book is this? They just preached and prayed, and that's it. And it was the most reverential, amazing church experience I may have ever had. How do they do that? What they do is they have a whole bunch of people who just love the Lord and pray, and read their word, and share the word. I don't mind it if people in this community start saying, that church is a little different. They're not following all the current fads. They're a little different. I don't know. Maybe that's controversial, maybe it's not. But I've seen churches in my lifetime shape their entire Sunday morning service around the idea of reaching the unsaved. When the Great Commission tells us in verse 19, how are we to make disciples as we are going? The primary way we reach other people for Jesus who are lost is to reach them with our lives as we go out through this world, at home, in our homes, at work, wherever we might go. Can we invite them to church? Please do. That's an amazing thing. Some of us came to Christ because someone invited us to a church service. So please hear what I'm saying. And I know we're going to continue to be nice to people when they come in and welcome people. But we need to be Christians wherever we go. I, was, I thought about this on the ride down here this morning. Wherever we go, we should be Christians, right? If you're not a Christian everywhere you go, are you really even a Christian? If you're only a Christian on Sunday morning, are you really a Christian? I once heard a preacher say this. I once heard a preacher say that he purposely dumbed down his Sunday morning sermons so that the most biblically illiterate person in the building could understand what he's saying. And I get it. You want to be simplistic so even the youngest children might can understand. But what happens to a church that spends 20, 30, 40, 50 years dumbing down every sermon on Sunday morning? What happens? Not good, right? If you keep feeding milk to everybody every single week, then you've got people that live their whole lives having nothing but the milk of the Word and never getting the meat of the Word. 
we must not have our goal be simply to draw a crowd. Our goal must be to make disciples. Look at this next um, note up here. Again, I would take a picture of this or, or, or write it down. If we seek to grow the church, we will rarely grow disciples. I've been a part of so many outreach projects and things we used to do in the old days, and sometimes it would work a little bit, but people would come and go. Come and go, come and go. If we seek to grow disciples, meaning that we disciple the people we already have in here together, we will grow the church. That's how God planned it. So making disciples is a lifestyle. The second word, and this is much quicker, in verse 19 is not only should you go as you're going, but to make disciples, you're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so the second idea here is just connecting people to a local church. Disciples, true disciples, people who follow Jesus in faith, love, and obedience cannot do so apart from the local church. You just can't function apart from that fellowship with other believers. If you can function apart from other believers, you, you can't as a Christian. I'm just telling you, you can't. Because there, there are so many commands in the New Testament that we must do with one another, teach one another, encourage one another, give to one another, help one another. And we just can't do those apart from our church family. Listen, if you don't have a church family, I encourage you this morning to have one. Find one. Connect to it. And baptism, of course, is one way that we are identified with the church family. We come in oftentimes through baptism and we're identified with Christ first and then a church family second. So making disciples is a lifestyle. It's also connecting people to church. And the third thing is the word teaching in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things. Now you might say, well, we already have the word teach in verse 19. Well, these are two different words. Verse 19 means to make disciples. Verse 20 is what we think of teaching instructing other people. And I asked my wife this morning about teaching, because she's a teacher, and I know a few of you are teachers, and I asked her, what's her goal? And she said, I guess my goal is just to love and encourage my students and to help prepare them for the next year. Teach them what they need to do in first grade so that they might be successful in second grade. And I thought, that's what we should do as Christians. Help one another, love one another, encourage one another, and help one another be able to handle what's going to happen next week or next month, as we grow in Christ. You say, well, I can't make disciples. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. If you're a Christian who can talk to other people about your faith, you can help make disciples. You can help with one person to help them learn more about Christ. I've been in churches before where people want titles. Have you ever said it before? Like, I, I have to be a deacon because that's like a, a standing in a church. Or I have to be this or that because it's standing. I have to do this or that. My favorite people in churches are just people that just make disciples. Encouraging, loving, sharing with others, teaching. That's what we need. I would take five committed disciple makers in our church well before I would take five well-known people in the community. I would take five committed disciple makers well before I would take the best choir or band we could find. Give me the disciple makers over the wealthy. Give me the disciple makers. I'm going to say this twice in this sermon, but a great way for every one of us to make disciples is to come to our Wednesday night service at 
where you can hear other people's hearts and you can share your own heart. And in doing that, people, these people don't even know that. Everyone that comes on Wednesday night, you are making disciples because you're being a disciple and you're helping other people as you share what God shows you through the Word. You're making disciples. My goal is that we have more and more people plug in in that way. Making disciples is investing in others. Where are we going? We're going to stay focused on the work of Christ. Where are we going? We're going to be disciples who make disciples. And finally, number three, where are we going? We're going to rest in the promise of God's presence. He says to these disciples, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. These guys had to be scared. You're leaving us again, Christ? We, we, especially in Acts chapter 1, he tells them, you're going to go out and preach all through the world, and I'm out. <laughs> but he does say this, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, who's going to help you and guide you. They, it was verse 17 of our text, they, already, they still doubted. There had to be fear. Fear can often paralyze us in life, can it? In many ways, it can paralyze the church. I've told you all before about biking across the Golden Gate Bridge. And we, we, there's all these hills to get up there to it. We had to get off and like push the bike. It was such a steep hill. And um, we get to the bridge, and I'm like, I cannot believe I'm about to do this because I'm terrified of heights. And there's cars zooming by. On the little bike section, there's like professional bikers wearing biker stuff, like flying. And, I mean, I could feel myself tense up. I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to do it, right? And so I just started. And once I started... I just had to keep going. Because if I stopped, who knows what would happen. <laughs> My point is that these disciples could have certainly been fearful of what might happen to them. I mean, let's be honest. We know most of them end up being killed for Christ later. They had, they had fear. But they didn't let fear paralyze them for doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they rested in the promise of God's presence. Jesus is with us in our going. And we will nef never ultimately be left alone. Why can we be so confident in what we're doing as a church if things don't always seem like they're going good? Because we can rest in the promise of God's presence in our lives. Does that mean we do nothing and just sit around? No. It means we trust God to work as we work, that he works through us. I love how Jesus showed up in Matthew chapter 1 and he was named Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And then he ends the book of Matthew saying, I'm always going to be with you. That is the promise we have as individuals and as a church. Let me move to my application. The next thing we have up there, Cooper, is this application. and it's So what do we do? How do we make disciples? And Because... The question is like, okay, you, you said a bunch of good stuff. You've preached about discipleship before. What do we do? Well, I'm going to give you a simple pathway for discipleship. What are we going to do as a church? Here's what we should be doing. You ready? Number one, we need to remember that we all have a crowd to influence. Every one of us. The people that live in your home, that's your first church, right? You know, and it's tough. I can tell you it's tough. For me, there's a lot of people in my home. And they're all different ages and different levels of insanity. And like, and it's hard. It's tough to lead your home, I think especially as a pastor sometimes. But 
that's your first crowd you need to influence for Christ. And then you have your family, your friends, your community, and this world. As we leave here week after week and go out to wherever we go, that is the mission field. So look at the second thing. We all have a congregation to, to join. And if you're not a member of this church and want to be, please speak with me later about that. I'd love to have you come join. I know some people are already, we have some talking about it right now. But if you join our church, know this, that you come on Sunday morning to be equipped. All right? You don't come just as a consumer, like what can I get out of this today? You come to be equipped and be encouraged to grow in Christ so that you might go out and impact your crowd. You know what the best youth ministry is for our teenagers and our kids? Is for me to preach to parents and parents to go home and reiterate that to their kids. And we need that. We need, and so our purpose of this morning is to, and every Sunday morning, is to be equipped to go out to our crowd. Number three, we all have a community to invest in. And I don't mean just, I don't mean the community we live in. What I mean is a church community. And again, I said I'm going to mention it, our Wednesday night small groups, where we pray, we fellowship, we go into a deeper study of Sunday sermons each week. And the whole purpose is not that I can come up here and talk about it every Sunday morning. <laughs> the purpose is that when we leave here on Sunday, we leave there on Wednesday, we go out into our crowd and we influence them for Christ. So, how do we make disciples? We do this. There are other things. We encourage. Some of you are great encouragers. Keep that up. We need it. Some of you are great givers. You give so that the church continue to grow. Look, our church has done great at that, even through COVID. Our church was, did excellent at giving so that we could keep supporting the church. Giving, encouraging, helping, serving. Uh, Brandy said it Wednesday night. Sometimes you just see a need and you just have to go meet it and go serve. Continue to do that if you do that in our church. Talking about the word, that's underrated. And I don't know why I even have to say it. As a Christian, as a church, find times to talk with your fellow believers about the word. If you don't have anybody to talk to, go ask Paul Jr. a question. He, he, loves, it. he, he loves to talk about it. You better, have a few, you better have a few minutes on your hand. But no, I love that. We need, look, let's be really honest and open, okay? Every Sunday we come in here, we talk about different things. Some of y'all talked about the air show this morning, which is awesome. We might talk about, you know, football season. We're going to talk about football, hunting, all those things. But what would happen if we came and the, mo the majority of our time spent was just talking about what, the, what God taught us in the Word that week? That would develop this web of relationships that are God-centered, Christ-centered, Word-centered. We need to be disciples who make disciples. This is the pathway. To be an active member of your Sunday morning church that you might learn and grow, to come on Wednesday night so that you might go a little deeper and then leave this place ready to go serve. How? That's how. And so finally, how are we going to get there? Last, last thing here. How are we going to get there? And it's the three points from today's sermon. We're going to stay focused on the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ for the, for the lost. We're going to be disciples who make disciples and we're going to rest in the promise of God's presence. If we do those three things as people and as families and as a church and keep our focus on making disciples, this church will grow. It will. If we focus on these things. 
But it can't just be the preacher, and it can't just be a few faithful members. We need more people who are kind of just been like kind of connected to our church to really get invested in the ministry of the church. That's what we need. There's an old movie. I've never, I promise I've never seen the movie, but I've, I know there's a scene at the end of the movie that I'm going to mention at this time as I give you my conclusion. At the end of this movie, the ladies can go ahead and go if you need to help with the food. That food better be ready, as many as y'all are going right now. <laughs> Our plates better be fixed. I mean, there's like 50 people going. <laughs> Just kidding. They're going to miss this awesome illustration. Okay. There's a movie. I don't even know exactly what happens, but at the end of the movie, some of y'all are going to know it, this, there's a whole group of dudes, a whole group of guys, and whatever happened, they're very disappointed. They're sitting around complaining. They're really just quiet. They're mad. One guy gets up, and he's like, I'm going to fix this situation. And he gives this speech, this epic speech where he's like, we're going to do it. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to win the day. We're going to, you know, he's giving this speech about, he's trying to pump them up, right? And then he's like, all right, who's with me? And he runs out the door, and none of them move, right? Some of y'all might know what I'm talking about. There's probably several movies like that. They all just sit there. And you wait a minute, and all of a sudden he walks back like this. And he just stands there. That's sometimes how I feel when I preach a message on discipleship. Like, let's go. Who's with me? And I look back like, is anybody with me? <laughs> what happened in that movie? A few seconds later, one guy said, you know what? He's right. And he stands up and he's like, I'm with him. And then what happens? The second guy stands up. Yeah, me too. Then the third guy. The next thing you know, the whole group runs out to go do whatever thing they're doing. I give you that illustration because I'd like you to take a moment and here in just a second to pray and consider the fact, the question, will you go with me? Will you go with us who are going this direction? Will you be a part of this church who says we're, our goal more than anything else is to glorify God by making disciples of Christ? And if you will say yes, then you can tell me about it later. You can show it just by the fact that you show up on a regular basis and help grow this church the way it should be grown. But I pray that you would consider that. When I say, let's go this way, I pray you would want to go with us. Let's bow.